0: Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite, i.e. radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the domestic terrorist. And I don't know about you, Don, that um, after being a a, uh, white supremacist, homophobic, uh, Islamophobic uh, Nazi,
2: sounds to me like maybe domestic terrorist is a promotion. What do you think? Look, I you know, yes. And and quite honestly, on a serious note, I can remember back in the beginning of the Obama administration uh, when Janet Napolitano, who was the head of the Department of Homeland Security, issued uh, multiple different reports labeling uh, essentially militias, white supremacists uh, and everything that they wanted to corral uh, conservatives into is now coming full cycle. We knew that that was uh, laying the groundwork for what the left likes to do, which is to, they like to possess the language. And now we're seeing this come full circle to where they are possessing the language of what a conservative means, which is now uh, to be a, essentially a white supremacist. So we've gone from deplorable to white supremacist and, uh, it, what is it? Insurrectionist. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: And of course, as I said, and, and of course, we are domestic terrorists. Um, We have a special guest this time, and uh, we've had her on the show before, and we're pleased to have her back uh, because with her, we can roam not only about the state of California, we can roam about the countryside and the known universe with, uh, with uh, Susan Shelley, who is a columnist and on the editorial board of the SoCal Daily News Group. Whose newspapers include our local Redlands Daily Facts, San Marino Sun, uh, Press Enterprise in Riverside, and I don't know, 10 to 15 other newspapers in Southern California. And she's also a vice president with the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. And uh, you can find some of her work on SusanShelley.com or in your local newspaper here in, here in Southern California. Welcome to the show, Susan.
3: Thank you very much. Great to be with you, Greg.
0: Well, where, sh- where shall we start our journey across the, uh, the, the known universe? You, you, write on, you write on many things, and we'll start here. Benjamin Franklin said that, he, that whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freeness of speech. And while we still have a First Amendment, and the government cannot yet send us to labor camp to make Apple phones for what we say— There, nevertheless, is a very concerted effort to suppress freedom of speech in this country.
3: Yes, and I am very concerned about it. I'm very concerned because these tech companies are, in some ways, they are arms of the government. Now, people say, oh, they're private companies. They can do whatever they want. But then you dig in a little bit and you find out that they're getting memos from the FBI saying, oh, we're investigating this. They get a national security letter. We want you to turn over that. It's all secret it's very tied in with the intelligence agencies because of the post 9/11 investigations and now because of the post capital riot investigations and they are acting in some ways like the government and so when they drop people when they deplatform people from their youtube channels when google does that cuz google owns youtube and they deplatform the epic times and their videos can't roll ads and they can't make any money doing that and when Parler is dropped by Amazon Cloud Services and Google, Google Play Store and Apple iTunes Store, and it ceases to exist as a, as a free speech alternative to the more left-leaning Twitter, this is a problem. When people get on Twitter like a mob and they say, everybody go attack <clears throat> this person because this person said something we don't like, go call their employer and get them fired – this is a problem. This this borders into McCarthyism and blacklisting and permanently robbing people of the ability to earn a living because of what they said about something in politics. And that cannot be allowed to happen in the United States because if you are so intimidated and fearful about saying something about politics then we can't run a free country. We can't have elections. We can't have debates. If everyone's afraid to speak, if everyone's afraid to support a cause or a candidate, we're done. So this has to stop. We have to, I think where we really need to go is the link between the tech companies and the government. These Patriot Act regulations that were put in place that allow this to happen are the source of some of the trouble we're having.
0: Depending on what you say, you may have an Antifa mob. outside your house, intimidating, intimidating you and your family and the economic warfare that you just mentioned is, and I've seen this online, they supplement it with threats. They supplement it with just general nastiness. They just, they're going to call you all sorts of names. And there's a lot of people that just going to go, they're going to pull back and, you know, and learn that the safest and easiest course of action is just to shut up.
3: Yeah, that's true. And, and it, (laughs) It's intimidating and you can intimidate people so quickly because once you cut off one person's head and and that person can't find work anywhere, everybody think, sees that.
2: I think you're both overreacting a lot to this because uh, clearly we now have a body of w- a, a report that was issued by the New York University's Stern Center for Business and Human Rights. Uh, and the title of that report reads "False Accusation: The Unfounded Claim that Social Media Companies Censor Conservatives." And in this report, they they literally uh, can find no documented evidence that Twitter and Facebook and social media are unfairly targeting conservatives. Except in the report, there is no documented evidence. That Twitter and uh, Facebook and social media uh, platforms are unfairly uh, targeting uh, conservatives. The claim that we say they have no evidence that it does that it's not happening. It's a it's a bizarre world where you can have an organ an institution like New York University uh, issue a twenty eight page report that ultimately has no facts to base their claim on that this is a false accusation. So this report essentially is a report that says nothing. Have you had a chance to?
3: I haven't seen this, but this is how the fact checking thing works. They call the people who did it and they say, did you do it? And they say, no, we didn't do it. And they say, well, there you go. It's fact checked They didn't do it. That's not fact checked. (laughs) <laughs> Didn't anybody go to journalism school? Didn't anybody take a history class? Right. You have to have footnotes that are real. You can't have footnotes that come from somebody's press release. That's, this is...
0: Well, this we see is that just, we see this so the same depressing. kind of um, denial, the gaslighting denial. We mm-hmm. see it in the, regarding the vote fraud. There is no evidence of it that, and they just say it. Right. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't your evidence is wrong, here's some counter-evidence, it's not sufficient, whatever. There's no evidence. They just run with something, with, they just say it.
3: They, they started with there's no evidence, and then they upgraded it to there's no widespread evidence, and then they changed it to there's no widespread evidence that it changed the results. You know, if we investigate a little more, if you have evidence of fraud, then you need to investigate it and see how much there was and it's not good enough to just shut it all down and say it didn't happen it didn't happen it It does happen we don't know how much of it happened, but it does happen. It is proved that it does happen, and what happened in the twenty twenty election is that because of covid there were something like it's like three hundred lawsuits in all of these different states. Where people came in and they said all of these ballot laws, these ballot security laws, like the deadline for turning in your ballot, this is discriminatory. And it's particularly discriminatory on this group, this group, this group. And because of COVID, it's not safe to have this ballot deadline and you can't enforce this ballot deadline. And that happened in Pennsylvania. That happened in Nevada. Voter registration deadlines in Arizona. All these things were moved by lawsuits and settlements. And that enabled different types of fraud to happen. Did the fraud happen? We don't know. I can't tell you sitting here right now today how much ballot box stuffing there may have been. But if you create a situation where you eliminate signature verification and you eliminate witness signatures and you allow people to drop off volumes of ballots in an unattended ballot drop box, and you have Democracy in the Park in Madison, Wisconsin, where people come in before The election period has begun and they can turn in absentee ballots in the park when the law doesn't allow that because some election officials said, well, this is good because it's it's covid right now. And so this is outdoors and this is great, but it's not legal. You have all these ballots coming in. No chain of custody. You don't know. You don't know how much fraud there was. It covers a lot of fraud when you do things like that. And there there should uh... be investigations.
2: All of a sudden, I am finding myself like I've got to be the Unite IE radio show ombudsman here because on the 10th of November, the New York Times printed the definitive uh, response about election fraud saying they called every state, every elected official, and they found no evidence of voter fraud.
3: Wow. They called the people who'd go to jail for it if it happened and asked them if it happened. And they said, no, it didn't happen.
2: isn't okay. that the way you do? Wait, yeah. isn't that the way you do journalism, Susan? It's call, call, the, 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 call, the election, call the election officials, and ask them: Is there any evidence of voter fraud? They would say no. You know, and now the New York Times has a headline.
3: If if the situation was reversed, okay, if right. if there were all of these. All of these accommodations made by Republican legislatures and Republican governors and Trump had won narrowly in the battleground states the morning after the other candidate had been leading by a lot. And then overnight, next day, two days, they're counting the ballots that come in late and suddenly Trump is ahead. How much investigation would the New York Times have done then? My goodness, they'd have been they'd have been hiring stringers to go hang out in the election offices in every county in every battleground state to grill all of these people about where this ballot come from, where this ballot come from. They'd have been counting them on a piece of paper, checking them off, double checking every count. It really depends on where you sit and what cards you hold how this story is reported. And that should not be the case in journalism or in history or in any kind of rigorous study. You should be looking at the facts with a real investigation there's a lot at stake here but, the but trouble... they're not
0: journalists susan they're, they're not they're... journalists i know and they're they changing. Are propagandists for the democrat party and well yes the first amendment gives them the right to be propagandists for the democrat party they cannot be fairly called journalists they use well, they use
3: they're... They're changing the rules in journalism and they're calling it a different kind of journalism. We're not doing, quote, objective journalism anymore at The New York Times. Really? I, mean, I have some concerns about that. When
0: was the last time they did so?
3: I'm not sure, but but I have some concerns about that because the facts are what they are. And just because we don't know what they are doesn't mean they aren't. So I think there there really does need to be more investigation particularly in states like pennsylvania there's been no explanation to my knowledge of how there were two hundred and five thousand more votes counted than there were voters who voted and that's from the state legislature that's from fifteen state legislators who did a report and who looked at the voter records to see who voted and how many people voted and how many votes were counted and there's a discrepancy of two hundred and five thousand votes and that has happened in many places that happens in california sometimes there are more votes counted then there are voters who voted. Maybe there's an explanation, but there hasn't been one offered and it needs investigation.
0: If it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, principle applies here. Let's take a break here and hear from our sponsor, Ed Hoffman of Summit Funding, the place to go for your real estate lending needs, both residential and commercial. Assuming we haven't scared her off at this point, with more with Susan Shelley after this message.
2: Welcome back to the United Inland Empire radio show, the radio show for the most important political office, that of private citizen. It's all about the proper maintenance of the Constitution, the proper care and feeding of the Constitution, living up to our uh, roles and our responsibilities to maintain uh, this document with all that it stands for, freedom of speech, all the way to uh, some of the more lesser read uh, amendments and aspects of the Constitution. We're going to see that play out over the next week as Democrats are going to continue uh, their effort to impeach a person that isn't even the president of the United States. And I've got my opinions about why they're doing that. Mostly theater to obscure everything else that they're doing in the background. But we're talking about uh, the uh, election and the fallout and everything that's happened with our guest, Susan Shelley, who is uh, one of the. Uh, sane voices that you can find in the opinion pages of the Southern California News Group. Follow her work. We'll give you her, you, her, uh, uh, social media handles while she still has them. Follow her, read her, uh, support her, uh, retweet her, do all that stuff that we need to do while we can still do it. So. The election itself, now that we have Susan with us, uh, is still, I think, a topic that is open for discussion and debate because uh, the media wanted to frame this as uh, a, a... False narrative that there was any election fraud. Today, what we're seeing are people like Mike Lindell, who uh, caused a journalist to walk off of Newsmax the other night because he insists on continuing the conversation about Dominion uh, voting machines and other uh, aspects of what unfolded on November 3rd. But the question on the table is, did the Republicans do enough to put the word out and to investigate to the best of their ability all their and exhaust all of their uh opportunities to uh make the case that there was uh, voter fraud at least in an amount that would uh have swayed the election. We may never know the answer to that part of it. I think we can all acknowledge that there is always voter fraud. The question is to the extent it exists and post mortem what can we do about it? Susan, uh, tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are on the case that was made by Republicans in all of these swing states uh, as to whether or not there was voter fraud in the degree to which it existed.
3: Well, here's the problem with with vote fraud. Here's the problem with stealing an election. There's no remedy for stealing an election At this level, at the presidential level, the remedy is the next election because the clock is ticking from the moment the polls close. They count the ballots. That takes a month. They certify the election. The electoral votes are cast on December 14th. The Constitution says the president must be sworn in January 20th. A typical investigation, if you go to the Heritage Foundation's website of election fraud cases around the country, it takes three years. In fact, the, U- the U.S. Justice Department just issued an indictment in July of 2020 for ballot box stuffing in Pennsylvania in 2016, 15 and 14. So it took four years or maybe even five years to investigate a case of ballot box stuffing. They have one guilty plea in that and they've indicted someone else. You can't do it in six weeks. You have to get all the voter records and see how many people are recorded as having voted. And then you have to compare it to the number of votes that were counted. And then you have to go interview people and you have to start finding people who don't want to go to jail and make them testify against somebody else who told them to do it. It takes years. You can't do it. From December to January. So I think what happened with the Republican Party, once the election was called for Joe Biden, the people with a lot of experience in politics knew that there was no remedy. So even if it was true that the election was stolen, there's no way to fix it by January 20th. And I think that that was always in their head, that they were having to sort of back time to what was coming and adjust the rhetoric so that they could continue to be effective after it happened. President Trump, this was his first political office. This was his first political race. Before he ran for president in 2016, he had never run for political office before. So he didn't have the experience, for instance, that I had when I ran for office in 2013. And there, it was a very close election in a special election race. And there were more votes counted than there were voters who voted. And what could I do about it? Well, I could make a big stink about it and look like a sore loser. That was an option. I could hire lawyers and bankrupt myself to do an election challenge. That was an option. Or I could run again. Or I could get out of it and be effective some other way. Those are the practical realities of it. When you're talking about a presidential election and it involves all the states, We saw this very interesting lawsuit that was filed by the state of Texas against Pennsylvania and three other states, arguing that the rights of the people in Texas were violated because of vote fraud and changes in the law that were unconstitutional in these other states. The Supreme Court really should have heard that case to decide the issue of whether only state legislatures can change election law and election rules, because that's the understanding. Only state legislatures can do it. And in these battleground states, because of lawsuits, because of COVID, the governors, the courts, election administrators, they all made changes that were illegal. And the Supreme Court could have decided that. But here again, let's say they did. There's no remedy. There's no remedy.
0: I'm gonna
3: do is throw out the votes that were legitimately cast along with the ones that were not.
0: Well, I'm going I'm I'm going I'm I'm going to differ with you. The there was a remedy and it was imposed in a Pennsylvania state Senate case some years ago where the judge decided this was so riddled with fraud in favor of the Democrat I'm going to seat the Republican that who who I who I'm now convinced rightfully won the election. But yes the, the courts could have the courts could have made a remedy the state legislatures in those affected states had the constitutional authority to re- impose a remedy that says there was massive vote fraud, and and the true vote of the people was in favor of donald trump and we're going that we're selecting his elector, so there so there was a remedy, but for the Republicans to sit back and not just say, "Well, yes, there was vote fraud, but we don't have an effective remedy that that would be one thing but to then to endorse the legitimacy of the illegitimate election is everything represents and basically lie to their voters. Well, it was fine. It's legitimate. If you're right about that, Susan, it shows everything that is wrong with the Republican Party. Because there's never going to be an honest election again. If you don't make the stand, you make the fight and make the case that there is widespread election fraud Then nothing is ever going to change in in your specific case. You don't you didn't have the money for an attorney. You can't change California election laws. So you never ran again was your response to the vote fraud when you ran for state assembly. And and we will never have. And the Democrats now having learned that unlimited vote fraud, blatant, open, caught their hand in the cookie jar, vote fraud will be allowed and the Republicans will do nothing in response to it. They will only expand it geographically and numerically in future elections. Why wouldn't they?
3: Well, they might, but we have to have, we have to do what the Baker Carter commission decided we we should do in 2005. Jimmy Carter, James Baker, they had a commission. They looked at election law. They said we need nationwide voter ID, and we have to keep vote by mail to a minimum because if you don't do that, you have no confidence in the elections. So that's what we have to do.
0: Okay. But then if the if, if 2020 election was fine, there's no urgent need. There's no need to go after that. If it was corrupt, if the Republicans made the case, truthfully, that it was a corrupt rigged election, then there's a compelling need for the, vote, for the, for the reforms that you just mentioned.
3: Well, that's true.
0: We're out of time for this half hour. Again, assuming we don't scare Susan off, stay with us and she'll be back with us and we will continue to roam about the country, the state, and the known universe with Susan Shelley after this.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM590 The Answer. For those of you that are 62 or older and haven't taken the time to inquire into a reverse mortgage, here are some great reasons to consider one. One, you don't have to make monthly mortgage payments unless you want to. Interest rates are low, which means more money available. So if you've inquired before and it didn't work, it may work today. Calling to find out more details is free. So call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net
4: Mention AM 590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar All Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951 279 9161. AM 590, the answer.
0: Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton, and my co. after being away for two weeks, my co-host Don Dix is, is back with us. Uh, I'm not sure, but I still think he was off in Belize looking at beachfront property. But at least he's back with us this week, and I'm not sure when he's actually planning to make his move to Belize. And joining us as our special guest. We have Susan Shelley, columnist with the SoCal Daily News Group on their editorial board, and a vice president of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. When it got started, I thought the recall Gavin Newsom, I thought this was a total waste of time. It's not even going to come close. You need almost 1.5 million valid signatures to get it on the ballot. And if you get it on the ballot, Gavin Newsom was at that point had a I think 60% plus approval rating in a state where he just recently in 2018 won by 20% plus. There was there was there was this, was this was just total waste of time. Well, I'm not sure that 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 is going to happen, but as of now, we're up to 1.3 million plus signatures, and there's still till like March 17 about to 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 to, to gather more signatures. There's now there's now a, a realistic chance that this thing is going to make the ballot. What's your what's your view, Susan?
3: I think it's definitely going to make the ballot. I think it is definitely going to. There's a lot of money coming into the recall campaign. It's paying for mailings. You know, in this COVID era where it's hard to go out to a shopping mall or a supermarket and get signatures, the, the volunteers have done an amazing job of going out to the malls and the supermarkets and getting signatures anyway in person. But now to make sure that it happens, there are very costly mailings going out, sending petitions to individual voters with a letter saying, just sign this and we will have this recall on the ballot. And I think they're going to qualify it. And really, I think it's a... It's a very useful thing because everyone in government, not just in California, everywhere, everyone should know that when bad policies have terrible consequences, it's not okay. It's not okay. You don't just lie to the voters, get past the next election, and treat yourself for four more years. It's not okay. And in California, we have the tools of direct democracy that were given to us by reformers at the turn of the 20th century. We have the initiative. We have the referendum. We have the recall. And we recalled Governor Gray Davis in 2003 after he lied to the voters, said the budget was fine, everything was great. He'd been doing just a fabulous job, gets reelected. And then within weeks, you find out that the budget's in deficit. He's trying to raise taxes. There's a tuition hike at the Cal State universities and UC campuses. Fees go up. The, the, uh, the cost of registering a vehicle was tripled. All of that because everything was fine. Everything was not fine. People signed those recall petitions with a speed and an intensity that just shocked political observers. And now it's happening again. And it appears that it's the COVID lockdown hypocrisy and the incompetence of this governor, the unemployment fraud, the vaccination rollout being so badly handled, And that horrible dinner at the French Laundry after he told everyone to cancel their Thanksgiving plans. And he goes to dinner with a dozen of his closest friends, no masks, at a restaurant, as if everything's fine. Well, if he's briefed on the science every day and he thinks that's fine, why are we canceling Thanksgiving? That was it for a lot of people.
0: That may be the most expensive dinner in history.
2: That's, that that's a great meme. That actually needs to be produced, Greg, a picture, a picture of Gavin Newsom with uh for like uh one of the Remember those old American Express commercials where it was like uh a, you know, something is certain a price, something is else and then something else is priceless. Yeah, the the, the priceless part would be the recall. His oh, approval rating is tumbling over the weekend, I think. What didn't it drop by 14 points over the weekend? Um Yes. I mean, he's getting hammered and rightly so. And, you know, the, the the troubling thing is you don't have to go back very far in the whole COVID episode to see where Gavin Newsom uh, deserved to be recalled his quote about an hour into a press conference saying there this the, there is opportunity for reimagining a more progressive era as it relates to capitalism. So, yes, absolutely, we see this as an opportunity to reshape the way we do business and and how we govern, bringing in a more progressive era. This is tantamount to what Barack Obama says, in my opinion, five days before the 2008 election, when he said, uh, we are five days away from fundamentally transforming America. Gavin Newsom has been fast tracked throughout his entire life to be the president of the United States one day. Everything that he has been moved through was to, was to mold him into somebody that was electable. This progressive, this tyrant, needs to be recalled, if for no other reason than to completely uh, dismantle his presidential aspirations. And then, as you said, Susan, you lump into the way that he has managed uh, the state. Go back to when he was mayor. He promised, if you give me a billion dollars, I can end homelessness. When he left that position, homelessness had grown he hadn't ended it. So this guy's track record is hollow. He's an empty suit. He's a guy with a dimmer switch that sometimes he uses as a off on switch and he he needs to go. But more importantly, I think, guys, that this is this is the the best reason. Kevin Kiley, I think, summed up uh, what he said in an interview that I watched. The best reason for you to help gather signatures to successfully recall Newsom is that it will send a clear and loud message throughout the country, the Democrat Party, all the way up to the Biden administration that we have had enough.
3: Yes. It's really important. It's really important because when you're in the regular election cycle and you have two candidates running against each other, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of advertising, there's a lot of different things to focus on. But when you do a recall election, it's one issue. Is this person competent to continue this job or not? And it's really valuable to have that discussion with the voters one-on-one. It's really important to look at the policies and the implementation of some of the policies and question everything. I don't I don't think it's bad for democracy, as Gavin Newsom has said, as Gray Davis said, it's bad for democracy to do this. It is it is healthy for people to see their government and and evaluate whether it is doing the job for them or not. I think it's a very healthy thing.
0: Well, and if it's just just making the ballot, I think it's likely to make a lot of other Democrat politicians think. well, you know, maybe I don't. I need to be a little more careful here, exactly. because they, you know I could they could, they could be the the voters could be uh, coming after me next if I'm um, if I don't watch myself because the well California may be a liberal state the I think Jerry Brown even said this at one point that the Democrat Party is gone far to the left of where the center of the California voters are.
3: Right, that's true. And this is this is really important. It's it's really important that everyone understands that the government works for us, not the other way around. There tends to be a sort of an insider outsider thing going on where whichever party is in power, it's always the insiders. And then you have all these voters outside who are just stuck paying the bills. And supposedly we don't have any power, but we do have power we do have power and we are able to organize even if we're kicked off twitter we're able to organize and we're able to get together and you know this is here in the inland empire this is a great organization of people who are committed to protecting freedom in america and everyone should should care about this if you want to live in a free country we must restrain the power of government that's what freedom is freedom is limits on the power of government. If the government can do whatever it wants, whenever it wants, to whomever it wants, you're not free. And ever since this COVID state of emergency, we have not been free. You wake up in the morning, you literally cannot leave your house without the permission of the government. Oh, no. Oh, no, that's not how it's going to be in california that's not how it's going to be in america if this is the fundamental change in the way we're governed that the governor envisions i hope he enjoys his retirement in belize because he is not welcome here
2: need to do a real quick uh public service announcement folks if you haven't signed the petition, it's so simple. You just go to recallgavin2020.com. You can download the petition. You can print it on eight and a half by 11 paper and sign it and mail it in. And mail it, when you do mail it, stick a couple of bucks in there because this is costing a lot of money. And quite frankly, guys, I'm shocked that we only have, that it's taken us this long to get 1.4 million signatures Every Republican registered in the state of California, this should have been at the top of their to-do list in the first month that this thing rolled out. It, it it astonishes me that here we got an extension due to COVID from, I think this was supposed to end in December 17th, wasn't it? That was the original end for this, uh, for this recall effort. And they got yes. the court to issue an extension to March. It's sinful to me that the California Republican Party did not get behind this right away. It's sinful to me that every single uh, news outlet that calls itself right of center talk show hosts did not get on this right away. We did on the Jen and Don show. We did on Unite IE Radio. We have been talking about it. The other thing that people need to do is not just download the petition to sign it, They need to download the petition and go knock on their neighbor's doors and say, have you signed this and make sure they do sign it. If we did that over the next month, you know, Greg, earlier off the air, you were talking about how it was going to take more than the one point five million signatures in order to make sure that with the typical ROV. Uh, strategy of throwing out marginal signatures, uh, that you need a margin over that. I don't know what that number is. Um, in the past, I think they've said that you need to get what, like 25% more signatures to, you know, ensure that something crosses the finish line once the ROV gets, gets done hatch, uh, in their hatchet job on these petitions. Now, I will say that one of the things that they're doing is they are, uh, reviewing every signature to make sure that it, uh, follows basic rules. Obviously, they don't have the software to be able to match signatures, uh, that the ROV would do, but they're taking every precaution, which typically results in signatures being thrown out, incorrect addresses, writing outside the box, all that stuff is being done. So the likelihood of the signatures of the now reported 1.4 million signatures going, uh, through. Um, increases the probability that this will happen, but there's still five weeks left. And quite honestly, if, if you don't, if you're listening to this show and you don't do whatever you need to do over the next four weeks to gather another 20 or 30 signatures, you're abdicating your responsibility to, to, uh, for the proper care and feeding of the Constitution and of the Republic. Because this guy, this tyrant, has I mean Kevin Kylie and James Gallagher sued him and won in two days they got a judgment in two days which is unheard of that that accomplishment James Gallagher describes it as the easiest lawsuit ever won. Because they basically just filed it, and the judge had no choice but to recognize the, the power overreach of Governor Newsom. Every person needs to do whatever they can in order to do this. Go now to recallgavin2020.com. Do your part. Well, uh, Susan and I went and got a cup of coffee
0: during that soliloquy. Thank you. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good myself.
3: I thought it was a, it was a great commercial for recallgavin2020.com where you can download and sign an official petition.
0: Now, as uh, you know, as you know, we know being immersed in this political stuff, which maybe not everyone else knows, is if this makes the ballot, there'll be one question. First question is, shall Gavin Newsom be recalled yes or no? And the next question they'll vote on at the same time is if he's recalled who do you want to replace him for the remainder of his term? And we're, we're going to dive into that. I see the clock here after this word from All-Star Collision. The players you take your car when you have an accident because they are truly the kings of wreck and roll.
4: Back after this.
2: Welcome back to the United Inland Empire radio show, the show for the most important political office, private citizen, which means that I'm sure everyone that was listening to the last segment went to recallgavin2020.com to do your duty. Now, the conversation turns to, okay, so you recall him. Who do you replace him with? We'll get to that in a moment. But first, I wanted to extend an extraordinarily heartfelt thank you to the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association and Susan and John Kupal and all the folks that uh, we still haven't met yet that are part of that organization that helped defeat Proposition Fifteen, which had been put on the ballot by the California Teachers Association under a program that they started called Schools and Communities First, where they literally deceived the public in California about what the purpose of that was and what the ramifications of it would be. Ultimately, it would have been the largest property tax increase in California's history. And thanks to the hard work of the folks at Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, Susan, who helped us to distribute, allocated to us out here two thousand signs uh, to the Inland Empire, a thousand all the way out to the Coachella Valley and the folks in the desert, and we distributed those and we had them out in plenty of time for the election. So thank you so much, Susan, for everything you guys did and for what the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association does to make sure that we don't get our pockets picked uh any more than they already pick our pockets
3: (laughs) well thank you for all the great work that you've done too on the radio and with the signs and you know it it was a it was a big team effort to defeat that enormous tax increase it always is a big team effort you have to get everybody on board to fight for taxpayers in california because the government's against us (laughs) we have to be for us or no one will be
2: you're right they are against us
0: not only did California, one of the most, supposedly the most Democrat, leftist state in the in the country, turn down the tax increase, but it also turned down Proposition 16, which would have legalized government-sanctioned racial discrimination in college admissions, in hiring, in government, in by governments and by in government contracting, and that went with, with almost no money opposing it, went down to a large. It was defeated by a larger margin than it was originally passed in, In I think it was 1996. So, you know, maybe there, and you'll Gavin Newsom's uh, popularity rating. Look at the recall, which now has a realistic chance of making the ballot. And, you know, if we, if we had a, an effective opposition party here in California, maybe uh, there there would be some uh, better prospects. Speaking of the opposition party, if the recall makes the ballot, there'll be everyone who wants to run for governor can, and it'll be a plurality election. So if you if 20% is the highest vote total, that person gets elected and fills out uh, Governor Newsom's term. If it's 15%, if it's 18%, whatever that number is and john cox who lost in 2018 is going to run again uh the liberal mayor of san diego who i think does still call himself a republican kevin faulkner is planning to run and you know the whole myriad of of smaller candidates that you know that really don't have much of a chance and there's like there's nobody good there's no conservative there's no good pro you know there's nobody that we would that we would that we would line a support for Governor that right now is presently running, although there's some talk of getting Richard Grinnell to run. He what? had been an ambassador to to NATO under President Trump and then temporary director of the uh, uh where do we call it the the overseas the intelligence director,
2: director of, of, national of national intelligence, intelligence. Well, um,
3: anything could happen, Greg. Anything could happen because to get on the ballot, I think the filing fee is about four thousand dollars. and takes maybe fifty or a hundred signatures, and you're on the ballot. We had a hundred thirty-five candidates. two thousand three. that's all it takes. Seriously, yeah, oh. it's ex- it's at a very very low bar to get your name hey, on the let ballot. Let me look at my
2: checking account real quick.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I saw Don's on the on the Zoom here. I saw oh, Don's only four thousand dollars. Really? I think I think I'm going to run for
2: governor.
3: We certainly could we
2: that's such a should. vanity that is such a vanity thing to do if it only takes four thousand bucks and you get to see yourself on a ballot with uh, i mean i I would be shocked, given what you just said, if we didn't have a thousand people registered <laughs> just so they could have could their name have on the ballot people.
3: we we could we could have a thousand people now, if I remember right in two thousand three, Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of surprised everybody he announced on the Tonight Show that he was going to run for governor took everybody in California by surprise. And of course, he had the name recognition that overpowered anybody else who was on the ballot. And he won with a plurality of something like 48 or 49 percent. So on the liberal side, you can't rule out people like Bette Midler or Barbara Streisand wanting to be governor. You can't rule out anything. You can't rule out a movie star, a television star, a news anchor, a, a radio host. You can't rule out Anybody who is concerned about California's future, because everybody's concerned about California's future. Things are not going well in this state. And everybody knows it. And this has been the case for a long time. We are about to lose a congressional seat in this state for the first time ever in California history because so many people have been leaving this state because things are not okay. And as a result, everyone in this state is talking about what's wrong and what needs to be fixed, and people have different ideas. And I would not be at all surprised to see a thousand candidates for governor.
2: And the
0: winner so the with five
2: point six percent of the vote is. It could happen, right? So the question is, uh, you know, who do we elect? And and quite honestly, I don't, I don't care. I think, it, I mean, I do care, right? Uh, but I would be happy with. Um, I would, given given what we're dealing with right now, I mean, yes, Greg, I'm with you. I would like the ideal conservative candidate to be elected. Reality, that's not going to happen, okay? We're going to end up with a John Cox or a Kevin Faulkner or a fill-in-the-blank. But it's going to be better than anybody that Gavin, that, uh, any. it's going to be better than uh, Gavin Newsom. But more to the point is, what do we do from this point forward in order to make sure that we can raise up a viable, good, conservative candidate? I'm not sure one could be elected in California. Susan can weigh in on that. But the bottom line is we have to get so much better organized in our neighborhoods, in our communities, because it's not just about Gavin Newsom, guys. It's every two years we have to reelect an assembly member. We have to reelect a congressman. We reelect city council and school boards. Every two years we have elections. Every two years we should be upping our game in terms of organizing our neighborhoods, organizing our com- our, com- our communities, getting people. Because you said earlier, Susan, when we started off the show, what if we lose these social media platforms? What if we lose the ability to put a website up that has anything to do with conservative values? Because that could happen. I mean, we're in 1984 we need to make sure that we have an alternative, And my opinion, is that alternative is the connective tissue that has become atrophied in our communities, and we need to rebuild that and reinvigorate our ability to organize in the at the community level, which is exactly what the Democrats are doing.
3: Well, that's true, and that can be done. You know, in 1978, that's how Proposition 13 was passed. People were very upset at how high their tax bills were, how fast they were going up, and I think it was done with a fax machine and a telephone. And that's how people got the word out about Prop 13. So it can be done without the Internet and Twitter and all of that. It's obviously faster and easier if you have uh, quick electronic communications, but it can be done.
0: You only have about slightly less than a minute left here in the, in the show, Susan, and remind everyone they can reach you and get on your your email list at com, And Shelley is S-H-E-L-L-E-Y,
3: yes.
0: Uh columnist in the, with the SoCal Daily News Group. Um, 30 seconds. Any final thoughts?
3: I just want to urge everybody to join the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association because yes. it's a great organization it is fighting for you it is fighting for all taxpayers in california and if you join you strengthen the voice of taxpayers and that is a very useful thing sign up for the email alerts be informed about legislation and other threats to your pocket hjta.org hjta.org
2: and along with that $15, throw them a tip for job well done on the Prop 15. Because otherwise, folks, your property, your your cost would have gone up because every business in the state of California's cost would have gone up. So throw them a tip along with your membership.
0: And that's all the time we have this week on United IE Radio. Tune in next week for another exciting
4: edition. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar All-Star Collision and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar All-Star Collision. The kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161.